Okay, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to look at 36 through 50. On Friday, I listened to a podcast uh, from Love and Radio. Anybody ever seen that site, Love and Radio? Highly recommend it. Uh, it's got great cultural artifacts and uh, themes that's good for all of us to pay attention to. Uh, the one particular show I listened to was called The Silver Dollar. It was about a black musician named Daryl Davis. Uh, Daryl tells a story about in the early 80s, he was in a honky-tonk band as a black man, and he was playing the piano, and the place called The Silver Dollar. Uh, it was in Frederick, Maryland. After one of his performances, a white man came up to him, put his arm around him, and said, I've never heard a black man play the piano like that before. And so began this weird friendship between these two. Uh, every time Daryl and his band came into town, they would cycle through town. He would call this guy up, and this guy would come out to listen, and they'd have a beer or two later, and they talked and became friends. But here's the catch. The white man was a member of the KKK, a racist white supremacy group. Through this new friendship, Daryl met other members of the KKK, and even eventually arranged to have an interview with the Imperial Wizard of the KKK in the state of Maryland. His new friend told him, don't do it, the man will kill you. He did it anyway in the, the interview. The man showed up with an armed bodyguard, and the interview went incredibly well, so much so that the Imperial Wizard shook his hand and said, let's keep in touch. So he did. Uh, they met regularly, but first he brought his armed bodyguard, and then somewhere, I don't know, fourth, fifth meeting, he didn't. And they had these incredibly open, honest, non-PC conversations about everything. Uh, he said the, the communication was so free and it was so open, it was shocking if someone would have been there listening to it. Well, this led the Imperial Wizard to taking Daryl to their KKK rally. Can you imagine this? I'm not making this up. You go and you listen to this. Uh, this obviously got national headlines because this weird friendship was genuinely weird, and it was weird to folks looking in that this white grand wizard uh, KKK leader and this black man were friends who had totally opposite, different ways of seeing the world. <laughs> uh, eventually, after many years, the cement in the imperial grand wizard's racist views started cracking, and then they started crumbling, and then they started falling to pieces all around him, and eventually, he no longer held them. Why? Because of his friendship with Daryl. Grand Wizard of the KKK in the state of Maryland quit the KKK. And do you know what he did? He gave Daryl his hood and his cape, signifying that he was special. The best stories in the world are about being set free from yourself. Welcome to Luke 
chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we boast in our weakness this morning. We boast in the fact that you alone open our eyes. You alone work in our hearts. You alone heal us and put us back together again. And we, we acknowledge that the aim, the aim of preaching is to experience you and your salvation, period. So we ask this. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. Luke scholar James Edwards. He calls this interpersonal encounter with the Pharisee, Simon, and the woman from the city. This is what he says. One of the most memorable stories in all the Gospels, all three, four. <laughs> Whew, okay. Middle Eastern cultural studies scholar Kenneth Bailey says, as a whole, this passage is a literary gem, right? Dramatic turns reflect deep, deep aspects of serious theology, uh, Luke 7, 36 through 50 is high drama, serious theology. The best stories are about being set free from yourself to something greater, to something outside of yourself. 
That's why we love the movies. That's why we love books, is the best stories do just that. They place you in the story of something else that's greater than you, and you and I get lost and, in a sense, set free. Because for the hour and a half or the two hours or whatever it is, you know what happens? You didn't think about yourself. The freedom, the freedom of self-redemption. Once upon a time, there was a man named Simon. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him Jesus to eat with him. Simon is the first character in the study, the first one introduced in the study. Simon is a Pharisee. A Pharisee is someone who works hard to believe the Bible. A Pharisee is someone who works hard to apply the Bible to all their life. A Pharisee is someone who works hard to be holy. And so there's a subterranean question in this text. There's a deep, hidden question behind everything that's happening in this passage, and that's this. Why does Simon work so hard to be holy? The Pharisees have been introduced already over and over again, and there's been several themes that have been picked up. But the theme now of why do they work so hard to be holy? What's the answer to that? Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, once reflected on a very, very dark time in his life. He suffered, this great, great preacher suffered with depression his whole life. For those of you that do, uh, I think you need to hear stuff like that. Christian life is not always about getting better. It's not always about getting stronger. It's about someone else being restored. So here's this incredible preacher, some say the greatest preacher who ever lived. And he was going through a dark time in his life, and he said, I doubt anyone has labored harder to be holy in all the history of Christendom more than me. And it brought me to despair. It drove me almost to the loss of reason. I nearly lost my mind. The Bible says Simon, the Pharisee, Spurgeon, you and I work so hard to be holy primarily to prove ourselves. To bolster our insecurity. How do we know that's true? How can the Bible say such a thing about you and I? How can the Bible say such a thing about every human being that walks this earth and has ever walked this earth, no matter the race and no matter the religion and no matter the beliefs and no matter the way they live, but that every single human being lives their life trying to prove themselves and lives their life trying to bolster this deep, aching insecurity that ravages every human being. Well, here's what Luke 7 how Luke 7 proves this to be true. Uh, it proves it to be true by showing us through Simon how we constantly compare ourselves to others. In other words, how do you know that you are trying to prove yourself? How do you know that you live your life trying to bolster your insecurity? Luke 7 says the answer is because you constantly compare yourself to others. That's how you know. Look at verse 37. And behold... Remember we told in the Hebrew, when you ring that word behold, idei, do in the Greek, it means pay attention. It's like focus in on this. The writer's saying, 
This is what we're trying to say. Pay attention, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that she was, when he learned that he was, she learned he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. When the woman of the city crashes Simon's party, Simon immediately starts measuring himself against her, starts comparing himself against her. A woman of the city is towed for prostitution. She sells her body to men. You and I need to feel how uncomfortable this scene is. We read it today, and it's just so nice. And it's just so cute. And it's just so, oh, what a dear. Oh, that, that dear. Look at her. She's fine. But everyone in this story is about ready to flip out. Feel how she's weeping. She's wiping, she's touching, she's letting her hair down, she's kissing, and she's anointing. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let an ancient world scholar tell us how Simon and everyone else in this room interpreted what she was doing. Are you ready? Quote, her actions on the whole would have been regarded, at least by the men, as erotic. Letting her hair down in this setting would have been on par with appearing topless in public, end quote. The Talmud, Jewish Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary on the Mishnah, this is, this is hysterical. When I was writing this, I'm like, oh my word, this is what happens. This is what happens in religion, right? The Jewish Talmud, a Jewish commentary on the Mishnah, which is a Jewish commentary on the law. So you have a commentary on the commentary of the law. So you have the Bible, and then you have a commentary, then you have a commentary on the commentary of the Bible. Unbelievable, right? I just thought that was incredibly informative. <laughs> the Talmud says a woman letting down her hair is placed into the category, commentary of the commentary of the law, the commentary of adultery, the category of adultery, letting down your hair for a woman in the ancient world was equivalent to adultery. It was breaking the law of adultery. Middle Eastern cultural expert, expert Kenneth Bailey says, on a, a bride on her wedding night lets down her hair and allows it to be seen by her husband for the very first time. Verse 39 confirms what Simon is doing and how he's interpreting this and everyone that's there is. I mean, listen to him. It confirms he has this comparing heart. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, he has an internal dialogue with himself. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she's a sinner. We measure ourselves with others. We compare ourselves with others. views, ideologies, parenting, race, what a person believes and how they act, 
likes you get in social media or how many not likes you don't get. You compare how many friends you have to other people. You compare what kind of friends you have with other people. You compare who's in your group and who's not in your group, who's in their group and who's not in their group. And social media is just such a thing on steroids. Comparison has gone off the charts. Everyone gets up every day to see how they're doing in light of everybody else. Everybody posts things to help themselves, to bolster their insecurity before everybody else, or to confirm it. Right? Yep. Start comparing, and then then you start getting confirmed that you're insecure, right? Yep. Man, look at that person. I am inferior. Yep, I'm a secure, insecure person. When parents measure themselves against their children, we create confining, judgmental, angry, accusatory homes. When um, races measure themselves against another race, we create a whole culture of racism. When churches measure themselves against the surrounding culture, we create angry culture wars. We create this division and this this moral superiority and this ugly self-righteousness. So unattractive. And people outside begin to confuse God with it all. How do we begin to see our comparing hearts? How does that happen? How do you and I do that? Like, how can you figure out, like, you're in the mode of comparing yourself or measuring yourself against someone else? How does that happen? You know how it happens? Look at verse 39. Start listening to your internal dialogue. Have you ever done that? I, when I work out, when I run in the morning, especially on Saturdays when I do a long run, I'm left to myself, right? And it's amazing where myself goes. It's amazing what kind of internal dialogues I start having inside my head and my heart while I'm running for an hour. Who do you have? What kind of people do you have internal dialogues about? And then when you, do, when you think about that, think about what are, the specific, what are the specific areas you compare yourself with someone? Like, Simon, if this person were a prophet, right? He's trying to figure out, he's judging Jesus, measuring him, like if he was a prophet, if he was really a good teacher of the law, if he was as holy as I am, he'd know what's going on, right? So if he really were a prophet, or you might say if he really was, or she really was a good mom, well, you probably say she to that. If she, is she a good mom? If he really was a good father. If he really was a good friend. If he really was a healthy person. If she really was concerned about looking good. If she, if she, if she. The other thing is what specific areas do we judge or accuse? So Simon says, what sort, what sort of woman this is? So we might say things like in our heads, what sort of Christian is this? What sort of person acts like this? And then we just outright accuse and condemn and reject, right? This piece of stuff. She's not worthy of acceptance. She's not worthy of welcome. She's not worthy of love. She's unworthy. 
We constantly measure ourselves against others to bolster our insecurity or confirm it. Yep, I need to be insecure. Look at them. The best stories are about being set free from yourself. Something greater. Something outside ourselves. Ross Bird says, the truth is that we spend most of our time thinking about ourselves, serving ourselves, and helping ourselves to the exclusion of almost everyone and everything else. And the reason we think about ourselves constantly, the reason we live to prove ourselves, the reason why we're so insecure is because we cannot pay off our sin debt. The reason for all of this comparing, the reason for all of these attempts to measure ourselves, the reason driving heart behind everything that Simon's doing in this text is he is trying and we cannot pay off our sin debt. We cannot make ourselves secure. Look at verse 40 and 42. And Jesus, so Jesus sees the comparison. He hears the comparison going on. He sees what's taking place. And isn't it so ironic? He's saying, gosh, if he knew he was a prophet. And here's this extraordinary prophet reading his heart and now answering him. All at the same time, right? And Jesus answers and he says to him, I have something to say to you. A certain moneylender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's, that's two years worth of salary in the ancient world. Another 50, that's two months worth. When they could not pay. Don't brush over that. When they could not could not pay. They cannot pay. They are helpless, powerless, absolutely weak. When they could not pay means hard work at trying to be holy. Can't pay off your debt. Hard work at trying to be holy can't make you a secure person. That's why we're so exhausted from trying to be enough and do enough. We can't pay off the debt. We keep trying to pay off the debt. We keep trying to pay off the insecurities. We keep trying to pay off the debt. The debt can't be paid off. When they could not pay means believing the right things, acting the right way, being a certain race, getting an A, winning the game, controlling your life, getting so-and-so's acceptance can't make us secure. It can't pay off the debt. That's why we're driven. That's why we're discouraged. That's why we're so defensive. We are trying our whole lives, according to this text, because it's not just Simon. Simon is a window into all of humanity. We are desperately trying to pay off a debt that we cannot pay off, and we revisit that vicious cycle all the days of our life. The best stories are about being set free. 
how does this happen? I mean, how? How do you do? How does that happen? How do you get set free from yourself? How does something break into an internal dialogue like that? How does something end the, the cycle of continual comparison in our life? How does that happen? I mean, how do we get free from ourselves? Verse 42, when they could not pay. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt. Verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is an incredible deal. When she shows up and is exuding all that behavior that's going on, she's already had an encounter with Jesus and has already been forgiven by Jesus. How do I know? Because the text tells us. Well, how do you know the text tells you, Jeff? Because I'm a Greek geek. And this word forgiven is perfect tense, which means a completed action in the past with continuing ongoing effects in the present, which means what Jesus is doing, she's already been forgiven. That's why she's acting this way. She's had her debt canceled. That's why she's loving this way. What else could explain it? You either take, you take Simon's interpretation and the ancient Near East interpretation, or you take what Luke is trying to communicate is that her behavior is not awry. Her behavior is gratitude. Because the best stories are being set free from themselves. And she's set free. So Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It literally should say, your sins have been forgiven. What he was doing is he was giving her a fresh taste, a fresh assurance, a fresh confirmation in her experience and her life right now. You're forgiven. That's what Christians need every single day. insecurity paid for the debt paid you're free because the best is coming it's about being set free from yourself something greater something so much better 49 then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, of course they did. Of course they're saying this because this is the deepest need of the human heart, because this is the deepest need in every community, because this is the deepest need no matter whether you're in the Middle East or the West or whether you lived in 2000 B.C. or 2000 whatever we are now. Who is this who even forgives that pays it all? Who is this that turns insecurity into security? Who is this? Jesus cancels sin debt. Jesus pays off all sin's debt, all sin's consequences. You know what this means? This means, I mean, if you're in the Old Testament, you'd say this means the great chaotic deep was just crushed. This means the great flood can never happen again. This means you can't ever be decreated again. This means everything that's about sin and its consequences was paid for 
all of the destructive interpersonal, interrelational chaos done. The emotional, personal, spiritual chaos in your life done. The material, the way we relate to the world and the world itself, all the consequences of breakdown and fear and anxiety and paralysis and overwhelming, destructive emotion, done. When a money lender cancels the two debts, the two debtors are set free, but the money lender isn't. The money lender bears the loss. The money lender pays the debt. The money lender pays the cross, the ultimate money lender suffered your debt, your loss, your pain, your insecurity. He pays off your debt, a debt you cannot best stories are about being set free from yourself by something greater than you, something outside of yourself. By the debt-canceling cross, what's the something greater? The debt-canceling cross. What's something greater? Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. What's greater? Jesus bearing your loss, your chaos. What's greater? Him setting you free from yourself to love him now and to love others. The woman of the city was free. Do you see that? She's free. She's free from her sin debt. She's free from her insecurity. She's free from trying to spend her days in her life trying to be enough, do enough, or knowing that she's jacked up and messed up to now trying to numb it and medicate it, and hide from it, and escape it, in some way try to deal with it. I mean, you got two. We're all trying to deal with it. So, you know, some of us will try to actually pay it off. Others of us know you can't pay it off, so you just try to escape it and run from it. But both are attempts at trying to pay off the debt, right? But she's free from herself. She's free now to love Jesus. Look at 42. Now, which of them will love more, Simon? Simon, now, you have these two debtors. You got one that's got two years of wages, one two months. The money lender cancels the debt. Which one will love him more, Simon? Simon says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus, Jesus says, God says, the ultimate prophet says, to this human being, to you and me, you have judged rightly. You're right. That's true. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water. I entered your house, and you gave me no ointment. Simon, you didn't even give me. You're all concerned, Simon, about holiness. You're all concerned about the law. 
and you broke the law the moment I entered your house. You didn't love didn't even give me the basic common courtesies of welcome in the ancient Near East. But she her tears were my tears. Her hair and she's free for you. Free from herself. She's free to love me which is life itself and she's free to love other people which is the greatest story the best story. Tim Chester, in his new book, A Meal with Jesus, wrote, whenever we look down on someone for being smelly or disorganized or lazy or emotional or promiscuous or socially inept or bitter, then we're like graceless Simon. And if we look down on people for not understanding grace, then we are like graceless Simon. See, gospel people, we've got to be careful of that. It's called a backdoor self-righteousness. Well, we got it right. If you're thinking about how this applies to someone else, then you're like Simon. Jesus says to us, if you look down on others, you love little because you understand so little of your sin and so little of grace. So anytime you and I are worried about the sins out there in the culture, the sins out there in your family, or the sins out there in the church, we have a very little understanding of our own sin. very little understanding of the grace of God. The movie Walk the Line is about Johnny Cash's life. Please tell me everyone here knows who Johnny Cash is. Okay, I have a cool shirt. Good. Johnny Cash wanted to do a concert in Folsom Prison, but his record executive didn't want him to, and he said, your fans are Christians, church folk. They don't want you singing in Folsom Prison to murderers and rapists. And Cash said, then they ain't Christians. There were two other KK leaders in the state of Maryland. And Daryl Davis defended them. And they too quit the Klan. Do you know that because of one black man befriending his enemy. There is no KKK chapters in the state of Maryland to this day. That's amazing. Let that be a celebration for the love others. Because as Ross Bird says, no one wants to see the story end with, and she left love with a big opportunity at Bank of America. Amen. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word.